Hello and a warm welcome to Econo Day Unplugged on Thursday, the 22nd of September 2022. There's a lot going on in financial markets at the moment, and this week it's been the central banking community that's been grabbing the headlines. So on the podcast today, we'll round up the policy changes and discuss what they mean for the economic outlook. And doing just that will be Terry Sheehan on the US East Coast, Max Sato in British Columbia, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. Right, well, let's kick off with the Fed then. So, Terry, time was when a 50 basis point hike in key interest rates was almost unheard of. And then 50 became the kind of new 25. And now it seems it's 75. So what do you think the magnitude of yesterday's tightening tells us about where the Fed sees the US economy now? And what might it mean for future rate rises? Well, um, I think it means that the Fed is trying to send a message that it is dead serious about getting inflation under control and that that process will require a series of aggressive rate hikes. Um, 75 is unusual in isolation, but to have now had several in a row um, is unprecedented. Um, And the other thing is that the Fed updated its forecasts for the remainder of 2022 and into 2025 yesterday. And for 2022, it added in the possibility of another 125 basis points of increases. Uh, So we are looking at at least one more 75 basis point increase this year, um, possibly going down to 50 basis points. in December. So um, it's a really hawkish stance on inflation right now. So in terms of what they actually said, what have they really changed? I mean, what, how different now is the economic outlook in these current projections compared to last time? Well, there's a definite downgrade on uh, their outlook for GDP, especially this year. I mean, they their July forecast for GDP was up 1.7 their September one is up 0.2. So uh, they, they're they definitely seeing a lot more um, slowness in the economy right now. And although Chair Powell declined to use the word recession yesterday, there was quite a bit uh, about a sustained period of very slow growth. So um, I think Fed policymakers see the chance of avoiding a recession as greatly diminished, and uh, they've made the decision that getting inflation under control is more important than keeping the economy out of recession, although they would very much like to. Yeah, I was going to ask you exactly that, because we've already had a number of um, governors from the ECB effectively saying, well, look, if if the economy goes into recession, there's a result of our rate hikes and so big, that's what we need to bring inflation down. On the basis of the latest Bank of England numbers, they're effectively saying that well, the UK is in recession already, albeit currently only a very mild one, and yet we still see rates going up. So, I mean, is it really the case now, your side, that the Fed is prepared to say, OK, I don't mind a few quarters of uh, negative growth if that's what it takes to get inflation back down to where it should be. I think that's essentially what Powell said yesterday. So it's a complicated mandate, isn't it, for the Fed? It's not just like pretty well the Bank of England or the ECB where you look at inflation and you get it right and don't do anything else. But you've got things like employment or unemployment to consider on your side as well. So I mean, how is unemployment going to fit in with the idea, you know, if unemployment's rising perhaps quite sharply, can the Fed still tighten? 
Well, right now, I think because the our employment situation is actually still very favorable uh, for people looking for jobs right now, um, and layoff activity is very slow. Uh, there are still plentiful job openings out there. Um, compensation is still rising, although somewhat less quickly. Uh, so th I, I think the Fed is, and Fed policymakers are relieved that um, they actually have a strong labor market going into this situation uh, that will help cushion some of the, the pain from uh, whatever economic slowdown we're experiencing. Okay. Um, just in terms of the last thing I want to ask you about, um, inflationary expectations. We had some bits and pieces out from the New York Fed, was it a couple of weeks ago, I think, wasn't it? Um, mm -hmm. Three-year inflation forecast fell from 2.8%, well, this is the August data, wasn't it? Um, from 3.2% in July. And that's its lowest level in almost two years. So, I mean, is that tip, I mean, is it the case now you think that we are starting to get towards the top of inflation in the States and it will be coming down? Or do you kind of disregard these, um, these expectations, sir? Well, in addition to the New York survey, uh, things like our University of Michigan survey of consumers is showing that mm -hmm. inflation expectations are coming down. There's one from the Atlanta Fed for business ex inflation expectations. That's coming down a bit too. Um, I, you know, I hesitate to say that inflation has peaked, but um, it does look like we're seeing at least some stabilization in rates of inflation, but they're not really coming down yet um, in in the economic data. So um, especially at the core, um, we've seen great improvement on things like petrol prices, but uh, those are highly volatile and you know can turn around very quickly. So um, right now, core inflation is suggesting that uh, there's still a fair amount of upward price pressures out there. And I think that's part of what motivated the Fed for another 75 basis points and was behind um, looking for more restrictive policy than they had previously. Mm -hmm. All right, last one from me then. How high do you think Fed funds will top out? Ooh. Yeah, uh, I know, difficult one, but crystal ball days. But um, I think we could easily see four and a half percent. Okay. Fair enough. Anything else from your side, Terry? Uh, no, um, that we definitely have seen some quick impacts from these higher rates, especially for mortgage rates. Um, this is going to have yet more dampening effect on our housing sector, but that still seems to be muddling through okay right now. Um, there are people out there buying houses. They're just not as many, and they're tending toward smaller single family homes or multi-unit homes, which are more affordable in the current circumstances. Okay, excellent. Thanks very much for Terry. So let's move across to Max. Well, Max, we've been talking about possible um, Bank of Japan intervention on the podcast for a while now. And this morning, the, what, the central bank finally pulled the trigger. So following that and um, September's policy statement last night, a couple of questions. Um, what's your assessment of where policy actually stands now? And secondly, do you think this intervention can work? Or is it simply the case that interest rate differentials versus the dollar and, in fact, most other currencies are, are just too wide for it to have any lasting impact? Oh, that's a million dollar question. If I knew the that's answer, that's why I'm asking it, Max. You're the man for the job. Okay. Um, first of all, I watched the whole 
press conference by the uh, by Governor Kuroda last night, mm-hmm. and it is um, obvious that um, under his uh, leadership, he is not going to raise rates at all. When he was asked uh, if it's ever possible to change the uh, uh, yield curve control guidelines, and he says um, not for for the time being. And when he was asked, what do you mean by for the time being? It's not like two or three months. He says no, probably not not going to change for two or three years. And he's a very logical man, and he likes to explain things in a logical way. So um, first of all, the um, Yen's weaker, and it's it's it is adding a lot to uh, the import costs, especially mm-hmm. producer prices, and then that's uh, being free, uh, filtered through. And but then uh, his point is um, the the most of the uh, uh, price rises in Japan in food and energy and durable goods is coming from in the international markets, energy and commodity uh, markets, plus. Um, it's not just the yen losing against the big dollar, um, uh, yeah, the sterling and uh, euro. So um, it, it's not like uh, the BOJ is resisting uh, to to uh, a tighter uh, policy, and then that's making uh, everything worse for the Japan's uh, um, for Japan's economy, and. Since uh, it is his mandate since um, 2013 and the Abe's leadership to uh, boost the economy, change the uh, people's mindset to uh, end the um, 15 years of deflation. So that's that's done. But uh, as you can see um, before, one percent inflation was still quite a bit in Japan. Now, temporarily, uh, 2.8 to 3 percent which is uh, very high for Japan, even though uh, other countries are seeing 8 to 10 percent. So um, if if the Bank of Japan were to raise rates, it could hurt um, smaller companies and uh, non-manufacturing companies uh, because um, they they don't have see the benefit of a, a cheaper yen uh, in terms of a bringing um, uh, profits from overseas. So um, uh, in his mind, and, and for the first time uh, since the uh, beginning of the yield curve control, uh, which was adopted in September 2016, it was a unanimous vote to uh, keep the stance. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, until uh, maybe uh, the government brings in uh, um, a governor completely different from what Kroda is thinking or has been doing next April, um, I don't see um, a chance of uh, uh, raising rates. Um, meanwhile, um, it was MOF's uh, decision, Ministry of Finance's decision, in coordination with the um, Treasury uh, department in the U.S., they intervened, um, and it, it, there was a sign while watching Kroda's presser, he said one-sided the um, end depreciation, and there is a speculative movement. So that that's basically a code language in Japan. 
when a leader says speculative, then they're ready to punish the uh, speculators. Mm-hmm. And while, while after that, uh, around the same time, the Vice Finance Minister for International Affairs said uh, they hadn't intervened yet, but they're ready to go. So the market uh, people knew that it was coming. Right. And whether it's going to last, the effect it's going to last. Um, if um, people around the world want to buy, still want to buy the US dollar for other currencies, then um, I, I think it is hard to uh, uh, fight the uh, speculative move uh, unless you use up all the foreign reserves. Yeah, go along with that completely. So I can ask you about that. So is it not the case, though? I mean, the policymakers are going to have something of a dilemma now if they're going to have to rely upon you know, intervening in the foreign exchange markets, because on one side of the coin, we've got monetary policy, which is all about quantitative easing, buying bucket loads of JGBs to pump liquidity into the system. And now we've got potentially the BOJ perhaps having to buy buckets fulls of yen if they can prevent currency depreciation, withdrawing liquidity from the system. So how do they sort of reconcile the two. Yeah, he was, and um, Kuroda was asked that exact question last night. He said, under the uh, YCC yield curve control framework, um, the, this system automatically um, uh, resolved the uh, yen tightening condition. So basically, he's saying uh, the, the bank can print as much cash as they want. So uh, they can correct the um, that effect coming from uh, uh, yen buying uh, currency intervention against the dollar. The problem there being presumably kind of playing devil's advocate here, I suppose, but you know, typically one of the major impacts of quantitative easing is via the exchange rate, you know, creating excess liquidity which flows across the foreign exchanges and puts downside pressure on the currency. So I must say it's going to be interesting how they actually resolve this and whether or not just intervention can actually be sufficient to, you know, to pry the yen with any kind of long lasting support. Interesting stuff. Um, in terms of the actual BOJ statement yesterday, was there anything new on the economy which is worth mentioning or you know, or, or whatever you know, investors should be looking at with a view to perhaps some potential change in policy at some point? Uh, there's not much change in it, but um, you know, the BOJ said economy has picked up and likely to recover. That's the same tone, but mm-hmm. I noticed that uh, they moved up the paragraph about um, uh, possible uh, downside um, risk from a rising international commodity prices. So I think the reason they moved it up to to say there's a risk there means uh, even though uh, we've seen gasoline prices uh, drifting a little lower um, in the global markets, but uh, it could rise again, you know, not, not just uh, gasoline. Um, we've seen copper prices down because of lower China demand. But right. who, who knows uh, what's going to happen to uh, energy and commodity prices down the road. So that's, that's a risk to Japan, especially um, as they have to import lots of stuff. So, but more than that, I could see, um, Kuroda was asked about the inflation forecast and the Bank of Japan's board is going to, update their forecasts um, uh, in late October for the um, quarterly update. And he did say um, they, they, they will probably have to raise the uh, CPI forecasts. So that's, that's probably true. But asked about next fiscal year's uh, forecast, he said uh, it will be still below 2%. Uh, currently, the forecast is around 1.5. So maybe for 
2022, um, fiscal 2022, uh, the current forecast will be raised from uh, um, 2.3 to probably closer to 2.8. And for next fiscal year, right now it's 1.4, but it, it gets closer to 2. But still, uh, the BOJ has an overshoot commitment, so um, um, looks like uh, the, the whole uh, framework uh, guidelines not going to change uh, anytime soon. Right, more of the same. Okay, any else from uh, your side, Max? Um, it's um, this GPN and. Uh, whether Abenomics was effective or not, people are now questioning, and it is becoming a political issue. Uh, as you can see, um, Kishida cabinet uh, public approval ratings have been declining the whole time, mm-hmm. the last uh, couple months, and that's that's very a uh, uh, danger zone. So maybe that's one of the motivations uh, behind uh, yesterday's currency market intervention the finance minister had to get in and uh, to the market and um, meanwhile um, you know during the, uh, the huge appreciation of the yen uh, several years back uh, they had the government produced a program to take advantage of it like basically making it easier for japanese uh, companies to go overseas and um, do mergers and acquisitions. Um, now, uh, they're trying to uh, take advantage of uh, more spending by foreign tourists um, back to Japan. So, uh, Kishida has announced that uh, they're going to lift the restrictions on border control. Hmm. So, that's happening uh, in October. I don't know, it's just going to, um, spending by overseas travelers, visitors, it's probably going to push up um, uh, exports. The, the spend is counted as an export, so maybe 0.1, 0.2 percentage points. So I don't know how that's going to be effective. Um, like I said earlier uh, in a previous uh, podcast, that Shida's um, uh, government may or may not last for a year. It can be a typical pattern in, in recent history in Japan. Right. Okay, interesting stuff. Thanks much, Lee Max. And I guess move across to Europe then. What have we got here? Well, a few hours ago, the Bank of England made it seven out of seven with a much as expected 50 basis point hike in uh, bank rate, the benchmark rate over here to 2.25%. So that matched the August increase, but um, can't see it really particularly helping a struggling pound given the the larger rises we've already seen uh, in the likes of the Fed and and other central banks. Now, the smaller increase, I guess, at least partly reflects what is a huge amount of uncertainty about the UK economic outlook, not least after the government's decision to free household energy budgets for a couple of years and ahead of what's expected to be another government stimulus package uh, which is due tomorrow Friday. Also though the vote underlined just how unclear or how uncertain these MPC members are. Uh, one MPC, MPC member actually called for just 25 basis point hike in rates. Five of them actually went for the 50 and the remaining three wanted 75 basis points. Now that's an unusually wide split between the most hawkish and the most dovish. So I say very much in, in indicative of the fact that um, the economists at the bank struggling to try and put together a coherent uh, or at least reliable economic forecast at the moment. Um, of note, though, um, I guess, you know, reading between the lines, it looks at least that everyone wanted higher rates and the chances are 
that we will see bank rate going up again. We've got a couple of meetings left before the end of the year, and I suspect at least one of them, probably November, will see another 50 basis points. Of note, too, the amended inflation forecast October, which was previously expected to come in at over 13% due to the, uh, the um, hike we get in energy prices here in October. Since the government introduced this prices freeze, uh, that's now not going to happen, or at least not to the same extent anyway. And that's caused the bank to revise down its inflation forecast this year, the peak one this year in October, to under 11%. That said, it remains at above 10% for quite a long while going through next year. So again, bottom line is still pressure on them to come out and increase, increase interest rates further. In addition, I suppose the other main point to note out of what the bank was saying, um, they've downgraded their expectations for third quarter real GDP growth, say down to minus 0.1%. But if that turns out to be right and there are no back revisions, then it will match what we saw in the second quarter. And so that would put the UK into technical recession a quarter earlier than they originally expected. Also out the bank today, um, we had a vote on outright guilt sales, so quantitative tightening or active quantitative tightening, I should say. That was passed unanimously, and it means that they'll be targeting quarterly sales of 10 billion sterling worth of gilts, uh, which if we add in redemptions of expected about 40 billion or so, uh, should shrink the balance sheet by about 80 billion over the next 12 months. And that would reduce the quantitative easing gilt stock to some seven hundred and fifty eight billion. Um, now, sales are going to be conditional upon economic and market conditions as usual, as usual. But um, while interest rates remain the key tool of policy, any shrinkage in the balance sheet will tighten monetary conditions of its own accord. So as such, a switch to active TV should at least be seen as easing a little bit of the pressure on the rates to rise further, although certainly it won't stop them from going up again. Also, just on rates, it's probably worth noting that you now some of the, uh, the fallout from rising interest rates is being reflected in the government borrowing numbers now. Um, not only is this newly announced emergency aid plan for households and businesses likely to boost borrowing by about 150 billion sterling or so over the coming year, but as borrowing costs are rising, they're adding record amounts to, to UK debt. Uh, just yesterday, the August borrowing data included the largest debt interest for that particular month. Um, and that certainly combined with what is a large and still very, if any, expanding current account deficit to fund, you know, though their twin deficits very much helping to undermine the pound, which looks like it's going to remain in, can remain in for a fairly troubled time over at least for the next coming of next few months. With regards to Switzerland, the Swiss National Bank also made their quarterly policy statement this morning. Now, Swiss inflation is only three and a half percent in August, so still internationally low. But crucially, it remains above the Swiss National Bank's definition of price stability. They call it just under two percent. And it's clear that the central bank isn't prepared to prepared to take any chances. So the uh, today's monetary policy assessment, as they call it, they raised the policy rate by a further 75 basis points. That puts it up at 0.5% at the higher end of market forecasts. And as I say, really indicative of the central bank that's determined to keep prices under control. Significantly, too, the MPA again omitted any specific reference to the level of the Swiss franc. And that's despite the key euro Swiss franc cross rate having established itself firmly below parity over the course of the last few months. That rather the the, uh, the president, Thomas Jordan, again signalled that the bank would be prepared to intervene on both sides of the market. So either selling or buying francs 
in the event of excess appreciation or depreciation. So I guess the takeaway from that is uh, they're quite happy with the recent sharp appreciation of the currency um, and current levels or be they strong or otherwise uh, are seen as being key to helping to keep inflation down. So it really does confirm a fairly significant U-turn on the SMB's FX stance. Like elsewhere, today's tightening by the SMB is unlikely to be the last. Despite the hike, the official forecast still shows inflation a little bit above um, 2% by the back end of the uh, forecast horizon and also rising and also still rising. It's also largely above what they were forecasting in June. So if you put all that little lot together, it suggests that uh, even now the uh, underlying stance of policy isn't tight enough to actually uh, allow them to achieve their price stability goals. Um, OK, what else we got? Um, I guess I should just quickly mention to round things off for Europe anyway. It was actually the Sweden's Riksbank who got this week's tightening ball rolling on Tuesday. They surprised financial markets with a hefty 100 basis point hike in uh, its benchmark rate to 1.75%. And that's the most aggressive move we've seen from the Riksbank since the introduction of a flexible exchange rate and inflation target back in 1992. And just across the border, their neighbour Norway, they raised interest rates rates by 50 basis points to 2.25% today as well. Okay, then, I guess that's pretty well wraps up what we've seen so far, uh, as far as this week's concerned anyway. Bottom line is that much of the world, albeit not necessarily uh, Mr. Sato's Japan, uh, having started late, policymakers are still trying to catch up with above target inflation. Amongst the larger countries, official interest rates have gone up significantly again in this week in the US, UK, Switzerland, and earlier this month in Australia, Canada, and continental Europe too. And interestingly, no increase was less than 50 basis points. That's all adding to recession, recession risks and, as the uh, Bank of Japan made clear today, causing some real policy headaches for those monetary authorities that remain reluctant or indeed unable to tighten. Moreover, their problems are only likely to get worse, as in general, central banks aren't done yet, even if that does mean lower or even negative growth to come. So on behalf of Terry, Max and me, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back soon, but in the interim, make sure you keep up to date with all the key market moving indicators and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. Bye for now.